Well, as we've, uh, this week we'll finish up reading through the Bible. Uh, we started last week because we were in that Acts, and then I talked about we're going to just continue going through Acts. And, and one of the things that we're thinking about as we're going through Acts, and even as we're reading, we were reading through the Bible and finishing that up, is what new things the Lord might have for us as a church, and what all of this COVID stuff has happened, just everything that's happening. It's a unique time uh, in the world, a unique time for us, and we just are feeling as though we should look forward to the changes that this is doing for the church and for us as a church and, and tribe. And, uh, and as we look into that, uh, one of the things we looked at last week is what does it mean to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? And how does the Holy Spirit uh, work into our expectations and what we'd like to see happen for us as a church. And uh, this week we're looking at what they had been waiting for. Uh, the church uh, there in Jerusalem uh, had been gathered together. It says there was about 120 persons in them, and uh, they had been waiting, and now we read about what happens. And it says that uh, when the day of Pentecost came, uh, when it says a uh, day of Pentecost, that was a uh, long-standing religious holiday, you might say, or observance. And it marks an event in the, the life of Israel as a nation. And uh, the, the full story is that Pentecost comes 50 days after uh, the Passover. And, and the Passover so to understand what's going on, sorry, I'm going to spend a little bit more time than usual explaining some different things, words and concepts and, and phrases that go on in here. Sorry, it'll, it'll be a little bit heavy on that this week, but hopefully it's, it's interesting. Uh, Passover is a religious holiday that they observed, that God asked them to observe, that marked when they were freed from the oppression of Egypt. And it wasn't just that they were being oppressed. Egypt was also uh, slaughtering their children and killing their children off. And the last plague that God used to pull them out, you could say, was almost him. It says the angel of death was released. But the, another way of looking at it is, is really justice was sort of released out there. But God said there's relief that can be found from our sins, that, that we're There'll be a time when justice will go out and we will end up getting what we deserve or we would, but he says there is a path, another path that leads to relief, another path that allows us an escape or gives us a salvation. And the salvation at that time was you slaughter a lamb and you put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. And when the angel of death sees it, it will pass over it. And it wasn't so much the animal or the lamb or the sacrifice that happened, but it was what that symbolized. And what that symbolized was Jesus' death on the cross. That when it comes time for us to pay the price for all our sins, we can either think that we're going to escape it by being good, 
which the Bible says that's false because there's no one good but God alone. But there is another way of escape, and that's through forgiveness. And that way of escape is seen through the Passover, and Jesus connects to that in what we're going to do next week, taking communion, when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, when he speaks of the the lamb of the Passover there, that he's saying, I'm the one who made the sacrifice. In other words, whatever needed to be made up for, whatever need was necessary to appease justice, you might say, I'm paying that price for you. And so it's on that belief in Jesus that this day of Pentecost comes. There's this, the Passover, Jesus claims that Passover as being about him. He asks us to remember that Passover in communion by taking the body and blood of Jesus. And it's about coming to an understanding or belief that, that we need forgiveness for our sins and that we can find forgiveness for our sins through Jesus. And then where does that leave us? Uh, after the Passover, Jesus was killed on the cross. God raised him on the third day. It says last week we saw he walked around with people for about 40 days, and then he departed up into heaven. And so the church then had been waiting there. Those that believed in Jesus had been waiting uh, for a few days now, and God purposed for this all to happen within these markings in Jewish history of the Passover and Pentecost. And Pentecost is a holiday that when God brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the desert, when he finally brought them into the land and they possessed houses that they did not build, vineyards that they did not plant, fruit, and, and they ate from things that they, they didn't really work for, but it was given to them as a gift. The Pentecost was a celebration of that harvest, and it was uh, something that they were supposed to celebrate each year, the things that God had given them. And, and it's things based on that 50 days earlier, that Passover, that, that weren't deserved, but it's because the guilt was passed over, they were given forgiveness, and, and now they have the fruit of the kingdom. And so it's not a coincidence that the coming of the Holy Spirit came to the church on this day of Pentecost, because it is really about us, a celebration of the fruit of the kingdom of God, the the coming into the promised land, it wasn't really about Israel as a land. It wasn't really about that. It was about that promise of, of coming out of the grave into heaven, into the kingdom of God, and seeing that that started right now here on earth. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit that they were waiting for is marked by this celebration of joy on the day of Pentecost, of receiving the good things that the Lord has given that were not worked for, but we're given freely on the basis of forgiveness, which for us is on the basis of belief in Jesus. It says they were all together in one place. Um, there's This doesn't mean that every single person in the world that believed in Jesus at that time was present there. But what it does mean is that it's representative of all believers. In other words, the waiting for the Holy Spirit was the church globally, all those that believed in Jesus, and you might say that the only people that believed in Jesus at this point were, were there, but there's no reason to go there. What it is is a local body of about 120 people, not probably not all the people that believed in Jesus, 
but a representation within a local body of people that represented the church as a whole. In the same way that we can talk about, sometimes people talk about church with a capital C to mean the church as in the whole church in the whole world. And then church with a small C is maybe like the local church. All that's being said there and that's being said here is there is the church of God in the world and the local church, like our church, uh, it could be small, two or three people. It could be as small as, it could be large. It could be 10,000 of people. But whatever it is, it's simply a representation of what God is doing through the entire church. And so what we see happening here is that the Holy Spirit is being given, not to an individual, but it's actually being given to the church. And we see that representation of the church in a local body of people, 120 people, of which all of them, every single person there, was given the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is given to the church the baptism of the Holy Spirit is baptized. Is the uh, this point in time when it was the church was baptized in the Holy Spirit, of which local bodies are representations of that, and we connect to that through the Passover, through belief in Jesus. Everyone who believes in Jesus is baptized by the Holy Spirit. And that baptism of the Holy Spirit, that fruit, is meant to be worked out within the context of a local church. And we'll talk about that in a minute here. But it says, it says, suddenly uh, the sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated or divided or distributed. And they came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Uh, what you see with the, the Holy Spirit comes, and the Holy, let me see if I've got my, muted here. Okay. Sorry. The Holy Spirit comes into the church. It's distributed to each person. And then there's, again, this symbolism. It says tongues of fire, and there is uh, the rushing of wind. And in the context of the Passover and the Pentecost, one of the other things that happens in the Old Testament that we read through is that oftentimes the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit came, it would be... Uh, there would be the symbol of the wind or the symbol of the fire that in other words, all of the interactions that God had that were marked in this type of way, all of the interactions that we have with the Holy spirit. And also in the old Testament, we saw that the Holy spirit would come on certain people. For instance, it came on King Saul, then it left King Saul and it came on when it, it transferred over to King David there was Elijah had the Spirit of God, and then when Elijah was taken up, uh, Elisha, the Spirit rested him. But what we see here happening is that it's not just resting on an individual or not just resting on someone to lead people forward. What's different is, is the Holy Spirit is being given, distributed as the Holy Spirit pleases. In other words, 
it's being distributed to each person within a local congregation. Each person that believes in Jesus, believes that we need forgiveness for our sins, and believes that we can find that forgiveness in Jesus. And, and so what is it that we can expect, or what is it that we should look forward to with this Holy Spirit being given? It's connecting us to the Bible as we read through every single story. I think we talked about last week, it said, uh, of those in the Old Testament that, that are marked with this Holy Spirit, nothing is greater than John the Baptist, but everyone in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John the Baptist, Jesus says. And so what he's saying is, is the entire Bible, as we read through it, it's all open. It's all a possibility of what the Holy Spirit might do for us as a church. But it's also still at the Holy Spirit's discretion. And what it says is he's distributing a portion to each person in a church. And Paul talks about this. He says there's lots of different gifts in the Holy Spirit. Some gifts might be a word of prophecy where you have some sort of insight or you just understand or you know that there's this event that happened in someone's life or this person is thinking this or, or that there's something going on in the world. There's some sort of prophetic word that's given to us an understanding from God. It could be a gift of healing. We read about in the Jesus healing different people. Um, there's also people in the Old Testament that were raised from the dead, just like Jesus did. All of that is available to us. Uh, Paul also highlights other things too, like hospitality. You may think of hospitality as sort of, well, that's just someone's being a good person. But the Bible says, no, there's no one good but God alone. There's a degree to which that hospitality is a gift given by God and something that the Holy Spirit is doing. There could be teaching, um, administration. There could be lots of different things. Some of them may be very apparent or easier for us to say this doesn't have anything to do with human effort, and others may be a little bit easier for us to, to co-opt and say, well, I'm not so sure that was the Holy Spirit. I think that was just someone doing something really good. The truth is all of those things, from the ones that might be easily taken for granted as being from the Holy Spirit to those that are difficult, uh, that would be impossible for someone to do without the, that whole range is what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. And, and it's gifts that God's distributed. And the reason why it's important to see it functioning within a local church here is Paul says that the Holy Spirit doesn't distribute the whole thing to any one person. It distributes parts to different people. And those parts add up to the entirety of who Jesus is, the body of Jesus. In other words, Jesus is still active and working here on earth, but the, the spirit that, that he is, that Holy Spirit is working it out, and it's not working it out through one person as maybe it had before. It's working it out through a body of people, a local church of which each person has some piece of the body, some piece that, that pulls it all together so that it's one. And so what you see happening here is the Holy Spirit is initiating the time according to God's plan, and he's also distributing, and he's keeping that to himself. He's not giving that up. In other words, the burden of making something happen, he's saying that burden isn't going to fall on us 
as a church. I'm going to be doing things, but the burden to do the things that Jesus does, that's not going to fall on us. It's going to fall on him to make it happen. And so the Holy Spirit is promising to make things happen. Whatever needs to happen for us as a church, the Holy Spirit is going to make it happen. So the burden is not on us. The Holy Spirit is going to organize it and orchestrate it. It's not up to us to figure out how to make it happen, how to orchestrate it, or anything like that. The Holy Spirit is going to distribute it. as a, All we have to worry about is just believing in Jesus, this message, and staying together on that basis as a church, and, and just enjoy it and have joy in what it is that God is doing. He's keeping that burden on himself, but giving us the joy and the joy that brings us all together. Now, one of the other things that happened, it says they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, some versions say devout. And what happened was uh, Israel, as we read when we were reading through the Old Testament, uh, much of Israel, the majority of it, was taken captive into Assyria and never heard from again. And what happened with the, the Assyrians that we know from history and from biblical accounts is what they would do when they took over a country to sort of decimate that country so that it wouldn't be a problem anymore. They had a sort of plan that they always went through. And what they did is they would pull everyone out of one country and then they would bring people from other countries and force them to live in that land. So there may be a few strag you know, stragglers that were staying there in the land, but then other countries were brought in, and so it just sort of everyone married and sort of fused into something that was different from any one of these other things. And so that's where they uh, get the Samaritans that we read about in the New Testament, and why there was so much animosity towards the Samaritans, uh, because it was thought of as this uh, mismatch of, of different things. But for much of Israel, it just sort of, we don't know where they were taken to, and we don't know that that identity is sort of lost, and what was left was the tribe of Judah and, and uh, Benjamin, but but that's why it's come to be known as uh, Jewish, because it's that of that tribe of Judah. But what happened was, is that people from this tribe were scattered throughout different areas of the world, and so someone may have been Jewish, and may have lived in, I don't know, Switzerland, or may have lived in India, or something like that, but, or may have lived in Morocco, or something like that. Different people lived, and so there was Israelites, Jewish people, that lived in other places, and they grew up there, and their native language was that language. Some people, it says proselytes, uh, became Jewish, but the, what was happening with them coming to Jerusalem is, is if you really wanted to be devout or God-fearing, that what was thought of as the, the, the best place to be in terms of serving God would be in Jerusalem, where there was the temple and the sacrifices. And if you wanted to learn and talk about what the Bible had to say, all the best scholars were thought to be here. And, and so there's sort of a hierarchy here that's being introduced into what God's doing. And it's important for us to understand because it's part of what the Holy Spirit is doing, that, that within religion, within the church today, there is this sort of hierarchy that we tend to try and create. And part of what the Holy Spirit was doing was breaking that hierarchy down. And you see it more clear. It says, uh, 
When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard their own language being spoken of. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these all who are speaking Galileans? And, you know, it wasn't just that they were amazed at what the Holy Spirit was doing. It's that the Holy Spirit was doing something with people that they didn't think of as being someone that God would do something with. That Galileans... Uh, you know, we're talking language in this story. And part of the reason is, is people from different areas had different accents. People would try and get rid of that accent and trying to speak uh, Hebrew in the purest sense and coming to Jerusalem helped with that. But the Galileans, when they spoke the language, they spoke with a certain like a lisp or they, they just, there was a telltale giveaway in the way they spoke. So in other words, what's happening here is you have all these people who have these little things in their life, like my home language is this, but now I'm here, I'm trying to sort of not be identified by this because this is looked down upon and I'm trying to be this religious person and look this way. The Holy Spirit brings this wonderful event out to people by using the person that everyone there was trying to get away from. They actually were like the Galileans in that they had a native language and they didn't speak. They were like that, but they were trying to move away from that and move towards something that seemed more devout. But the Holy Spirit just pulled it away from that and put it squarely on people that no one else thought that, that it should happen through. And that's one of the wonderful things that happens for us as a church and for the church in general, and that God continually does, is he pulls things away from this. We, we have this tendency in the church to build up this sort of religiosity or these ideas of what devout is, and we start creating this false front that there's something better about this or better about that or better about this person, and it's really just discrimination and our prejudices that are coming out to try and make us that, that really move us away from the gospel and, and make it so we're not really even following the gospel. And what the Holy Spirit does is just breaks that down and pulls us back. And the way that it breaks it down and pulls it back is by using the weakest members of the body. And it's not weakest in a real sense. It's in a perceived sense. It could be uh, empirical sense. Uh, it could be someone, he may use someone to speak that's just not a good speaker. Uh, that's the way it was with Paul. Uh, lots of people aren't good speakers. There's lots of things that happen like that. What it is, is the Holy Spirit is being given to church. It's the Holy Spirit is carrying that burden. All we need to do is stay together, stay together under the gospel, which is that belief in Jesus and he will do the work, and he's going, we should expect the Holy Spirit to do the work in, in such a way that highlights and proves true the gospel. And, and the way the gospel is proved true is by the Holy Spirit using or making things happen through people or things that we've come to pass judgment on as not being worthy or as being a weakness 
in some point. And so one of the benefits of the Holy Spirit is, is we no longer need to hide different things that we're afraid that people are going to look down on us from. We no longer need to strive to be this person that everyone sees is up here. If we were to look at the Bible, we would strive to be the opposite. But the point isn't to strive to be the opposite. The point is just relax and be who you are and embrace. If you're from some other place, just embrace that. The Holy Spirit will use that. If you talk a certain way, just embrace that. Just be that. The, you know, I was... I think I mentioned this before. One time, Andrew and I went to uh, Egypt, and we went to, uh, I don't know, there, there's, there's one seminary that's in all of Northern Africa, and it happens to be in Egypt. And we went there, and they sort of gave us their spiel because we're coming in as, you know, rich Americans. So the first thing that, that's sort of thought of is like, here, here's our, you know, it's like a money thing. Which is, you know, tough to think through, but but the fact is that's the way it is with them that they're they're looking for money in that way. So so what their their talk was to us was to sort of talk about their importance of the seminary there. And one of the things that they said with the seminary is that like ninety percent of the churches in Egypt. Uh, don't have a pastor. And I remember thinking, well, how, how is that, that 90% of the churches don't have a pastor? And I, I remember asking one of the people, well, what, what do you mean, that there, there's no pastor there at the church? And then they sort of backed off and said, well, there, the churches do have pastors, but only you know a, a very small percent of them are ordained as pastors. And I said, well, what does that mean ordained? And they said, well, that you, what do you have to have to be ordained as a pastor? I mean, if they are a pastor, why aren't they ordained as a pastor? I don't understand. I said, well, you have to graduate from seminary. <laughs> okay. Well, where's there? I mean, there's this, just this one seminary. Everyone has to come here. Well, they could go overseas and go to seminary, but we're making it easier for people to come here. Well, what do you have to do? You know, you have to pay for this for like three years and say, no, no, actually ours is four years. Well, what do you have to do to get in? You have to have graduated from a four-year school. Well, how many of those? There's, there's only a few. And who is it that gets to go to those four-year schools in Egypt? Only the, the top 1% of the wealthiest, wealthiest people. What was happening there as a church, as a structure, we just keep putting these hoops on things, these things that everyone has to jump through to say, to try and earn, earn, earn this, and to sort of make our value. But the Holy Spirit just said, I'm bypassing all that. This person's a pastor of this church, and whether you acknowledge that or not, it doesn't matter. We're just doing this. That's the type of thing that, that saves the church at large, is that it's not at the mercy. Much of the church just sort of gets corrupted and becomes this gatekeeping thing that happens because that's what our nature is. But the, the strength of the church is the Holy Spirit doesn't give it to us like that. The Holy Spirit keeps the reins, and the Holy Spirit breaks through all of that that we have to enable us to have this ministry of presenting the gospel and uh, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it does that in all its parts. In the gifts of healing, in the gifts of prophecy, in the gifts of administration, the gifts of hospitality, whether it seems 
uh, very supernatural or could easily be explained away. It, it doesn't matter. The whole thing is the Holy Spirit bringing us to a place where the gospel is clear. And we don't have to carry that burden. And we don't have to jump through those hoops. We can just join together by agreeing with the gospel, coming together as a church body with an expectation that whatever it is that we need, the Lord will give it to us as a body. He won't just give it to me personally. I'm going to need this portion of this person. I'm going to need this person. I'm going to need this person. But together, if we can just stay together, the Lord will provide the promises. The Holy Spirit will give us all that we need to the extent of a mountain being cast in the sea, to the extent of the Red Sea being parted, to the extent of a dead person being raised from the dead, to the extent of just walking down the street and happening to pass the right person in a conversation type thing. It says... How then is that they hear us in our native language, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phagyra, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring of the wonderful, the wonders of God in our own languages. Uh, one of the things that this brings up here is the the gift of tongues, and it's in this story, the way people heard people when they were exercising their gifts of tongue is they heard them in their own language. And uh, oftentimes uh, in churches today, when uh, you hear someone speaking in tongues, it's usually, oftentimes it's thought of as a prayer language. And so when someone's praying over you, they'll be saying something that, it, you know, I can't give a, a description of it, but you'll, you'll understand what's happening. There's, it's speaking in tongues of you. Uh, there, there's been a, a lot of controversy in the church over that because some people say, well, the gifts of tongues are, are ceased and aren't there anymore. And then other people go to another extreme and say, well, you can't be saved unless you speak in tongues. Uh, ne neither one of those things seem to fit to me with this story. There's, Paul says, it's good to desire to speak in tongues. It's better even to desire to prophesy. Uh, he says, don't uh, uh, deny speaking in tongues. Uh, what's happening is, as people believe in Jesus, they join into that baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit distributes gifts and one may be tongues, one might be healing, one might be teaching, uh, giving, a bunch of different things. But there's no sense in us to spend time trying to think what God will or won't do, because the limit to what God does, there is no limit <laughs> The, the limit is whatever we read of in, in the Bible, and we read of amazing things in the Bible. And, and what he's saying is, is it's all accessible to us. There should be an expectation that as a church body, we'll have whatever it is that we need 
to present the gospel and to make it clear and, and to be able to care for people. And what he says is, uh, the gift of tongues heard in our own tongues. He says, uh, amazed, perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them or mocked them and said they have had too much wine. The, the real crucial part as we go into what it is the Lord is doing for us as a church, how, how is it that this uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit is going to get distributed among us? How is it that this is going to end up looking? It's going to look in such a way that breaks down barriers. It's going to look in such a way that the Holy Spirit uses our weakest parts or the parts that other people would discard because it, in using those, it makes clear the gospel. And our response to it is that it's perfectly fine to be amazed at what God is doing. It's perfectly fine to be perplexed. It's perfectly fine, as, as Paul says, to desire this or to desire that. All of that is good. But what's not is to drift into uh, making fun of people or mocking people. And in specific, it says they have had too much wine. And what that means is it's taking something that the Holy Spirit is doing and, and explaining it away in terms of, of it, that, that this is uh, the explanation for why this is happening is that it's a human endeavor. And the purpose of bringing that out in this case is to disregard some people or to make fun of some people, to push some people down. Uh, that's not what the Holy Spirit is doing. So, so as we think through what we're doing as a church and where we're going as a church, as we're thinking through what this baptism of the Holy Spirit means for me and for me within the context of our local church, uh, there should be a lot of amazement. There should be a lot of perplexity. But what we need to suppress or what we need to sort of push down in us and just confess of and not move into is uh, the mockery that explains away things that the Holy Spirit is doing uh, as being in human terms for the purpose of sort of elevating us above others. And I just want to today, uh, as I close here, uh, pray for this the newness of what the Lord is going to do for us as a church, and also pray that he will, the Holy Spirit will really make clear uh, the distribution of the gifts that he's given to each one of us, and that the Holy Spirit will also help him bring all those things out for us as a church so that some of the gifts that, that those of us have that haven't been used are being used and that we're just sort of functioning as one body, and then from that, we'll be able to see where the Lord is taking us. Let's pray. Jesus, we just uh, believe in you. We know that we need forgiveness for our sins, and we've, we know that we can find forgiveness through you, and we've come together as one church body, uh, represented uh, as tribe. And we thank you for this gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that you've given to the church and given to us who believe. And we pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you would just 
make clear your distribution of the gifts. And for those of us that have different things that have been on our heart and we desire, I pray that you would give us that gift, that desire in our heart. But more than anything, I pray that you would distribute it in such a way that brings us into the joy that we find in the gospel and help us to take joy in the things that you're giving and help us to pull together as one church to see people saved and see people brought to the gospel. We ask this all in your name, Jesus. Amen.